Welcome to the Redeeming God Podcast. Well, hello there, it's Jeremy Myers, and you are listening to the Redeeming God Podcast. So today we're looking at several verses, all in one episode. That's quite a change. We'll be looking at Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 19. Quite a long passage for us, right? (laughs) Uh, We're going to be seeing in these texts a list of things that Paul prays for. That's going to help us in several ways. First of all, it's going to teach us something about Scripture and God and the Gospel, everything Paul's writing about. But also, it's going to help you and I in our own prayer life. If you struggle with knowing what to pray for or how to pray, it's always helpful to see what Paul prays for, what other saints, what Jesus prays for, David, uh, you know, Peter, all these other people in Scripture. Some of their prayers are listed in Scripture so that we can inform our own prayers. Along the way of studying this, I'm also going to point out that these are the things I pray for, for you, right? Paul is writing to the Ephesian Christians, and he's letting them know what he prays for them. And I want you to know, as a listener of this podcast, this is uh, the same things that I pray for you about, that I hope for you, that I want for you, as a result of reading my books, listening to this podcast, joining my discipleship group, or however it is that you and I connect, okay? Okay. So that's where we're headed today in this study of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. Now, uh, before we get to that, though, we do have a letter from a listener. New email. So I also get messages occasionally on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, by the way, you can follow me there, friend me there, whatever. Honestly, though, I'm not super active on Facebook. So if you message me there, to be completely honest, it may take me up to a month for me to uh, go check my Facebook and respond to messages if I'm able to there. So if you do send in a question or comment, it's always best to do that through my website, redeeminggod.com. Anyway, I got this message on Facebook today when I went there for my monthly check of uh, for, for Facebook messages. And uh, here is what the listener wrote. Hi, Jeremy. I've been a believer for 12 years now. I'm 40 years old. For the first four years, I walked with the Lord. God gave me a ministry, and people were just drawn to me and were getting saved. Then I fell into grievous sin, drunkenness, and fornication, not to do with my ministry. My heart hardened and anger developed. My ministry slowly disappeared, and so did God using me. I repented in deep tears for years. Then I got extremely ill for the last six years and feel like God purged my anger through this. However, I'm not being used by God. I have no direction. I go to church, but that's it. Will God put me back into service after being a castaway? Will he give me a place in his kingdom again? I lost hope for that, and it scares me, thinking I lost his trust. I want to serve him. The fruits of the Spirit have left me. Can I get the fruits back? I'm not living in any known sin, and I haven't for years, yet there is sin that I don't know in me, so I'm not sinless by any means. I repent daily. Please let me know what you think. Okay, so... uh, I'm sorry to hear I'm, this person. I'm not going to give their name, but if you're listening, and I did respond to you on Facebook briefly, I'm I am sorry to hear about what's going on in your life. 
especially these six years of illness. That's a very difficult thing to go through. Um, and I'm not sure what's causing that. I hope you're seeing a doctor or, or doing whatever's uh, necessary to overcome that illness. But uh, I know that illness also has added to some of your fears and your concerns. And so let me try to address some of those uh, in, in this way. First, I want you to know, number one, most important, God is not angry at you. Okay? God does not punish us for our sin. I've written about this in numerous places elsewhere, and uh, it's always important for me to impress that upon people. God does not punish us for our sin. Yes, we are punished for our sin, but it doesn't come from God. Sin bears its own punishment with it. In fact, one of the reasons God tells us not to sin is uh, because sin hurts us, and God loves us, and he doesn't want to see us get hurt by sin. Yeah, when you tell your child not to touch the stove, why do you do that? Because you love your child and you do not want to see your child get hurt by touching the beautiful red glowing hot stove. Okay, so uh, when the child touches the stove in disobedience to your instructions and they get burned, did you punish them? No, you didn't. The stove did because they did not do what you said. It's the same way with sin and God. Okay, so God doesn't punish us for sin and he's not angry at us when we sin. He's angry at the pain and destruction that is caused by sin in our lives. And he's angry not at us, but he's angry at the sin. Okay, so um, that uh, that's the first thing here. And it sounds like, for the person who sent in this question, that they feel like God is angry at them for what they've done. That's not the case. Okay, God loves you, he forgives you, he accepts you, uh, and, and he's not angry at you. I have some links to various articles that I've written about this in the manuscript section for this podcast study. If you want to go read some of those, just click on the links, the ones that are interest, that uh, interest you. Second, let's go on to this question about the ministry or, or, or lack of ministry, especially this idea of the lack of fruit. It's very good that you had fruit uh, very early on in your life as a Christian. You had some time of teaching there. Um, but I want you to understand that just because you're not, quote-unquote, in the ministry, that doesn't mean you're not producing fruit. Um, this is a very common misconception in Christian circles that uh, only if you have a ministry, only ministers, full-time ministers, pastors, Bible teachers, something like that, are producing fruit. And that's not true at all. Many Christians produce fruit in a variety of ways. In fact, uh, I, I strongly doubt that whoever wrote this this letter is not producing fruit. I, I think you are producing fruit, okay? I mean, you mentioned even in the, the, the message to me that as you become aware of sin in your life, you repent of it. Well, guess what? <laughs> you are bearing fruits worthy of repentance. You are repenting of sin. That's a fruit. That is a, a, a good sign that the Holy Spirit is active in your life, pointing out sin in your life, and as you become aware of it, you follow the instructions in 1 John 1, and you confess your sin, you repent of it, and you're purified from it. So, I mean, that is, that's, that's a good indication uh, of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Also, you've been dealing with this for years on end, and you haven't given up. Well, guess what that is? That's called patience. That's called perseverance. Patience, by the way, is one of the fruits of the Spirit, uh, which you mentioned there. Uh, will you ever get the fruits back? Well, guess what? You are developing patience by the Holy Spirit. That is one of the fruits of the Spirit, okay? So, so look, uh, I want to encourage you to, to see things a little bit differently. Just because you may not have a ministry, quote-unquote ministry, in which you're teaching and seeing people get saved or whatever, that's okay. There is fruit being produced in your life, and it might be just be in a different direction or a different form than you, it used to be. 
but um, you're doing fine and you, you, you should be encouraged. Okay. So now are you where you want to be right now? No. All right. Maybe you want to return to a, a place of, of teaching and, uh, you know, helping other people and that's fine. That's okay. But what you need to recognize is that you're probably in a process of discipleship, of, of pruning, of refining right now. I very often talk about the process of discipleship, very similar to the four seasons that we experience here on planet Earth. Okay, uh, uh, Fall, winter, spring, summer. And the, the time of great fruitfulness and life and vibrancy, that's the spring and the summer, and then the fall is when we see the harvest— but, but after the fall comes a time of winter, okay, when everything is dead and cold and dark, and uh, we go through these times in our lives as followers of Jesus as well. It doesn't mean nothing's happening, because during winter, there's uh, significant things happening beneath the ground and in the core of the plants and trees, okay? Uh, those are times of uh, solidifying our position our stance. It's of strengthening who we are in Jesus Christ. And so if you're going through a long period uh, where it seems dark and dreary and dead and cold, nothing's happening, well, recognize this is a time of pruning, a time of strengthening, inner strengthening, where you learn to depend and rely upon Jesus Christ, where you learn to to develop patience and perseverance uh, and trust in, in what he's doing in your life and where he's headed. And after this time of winter, of course, what comes? Time of spring, like we're in right now, where trees bloom and flowers pop up, okay? And then the summer where, where things grow and mature, and of course the fall then comes, then comes a, gr- a time of great harvest and great, great fruitfulness, okay? So, so I would encourage you that that's probably where you're at right now. Um, in fact, I have a great uh, sermon or study on my website, uh, John 15, 1-8, about, about God as the vine dresser and Jesus is the vine and we're the branches, Okay, and how he lifts us up and he prunes us. This time of pruning that you're in right now, of of God pointing out sin in your life and getting rid of things in your life, that is so that you can be prepared to produce much fruit. Okay, so anyway, be encouraged, the person who wrote this letter to me. I think you're on the right track. Uh, you, You are producing fruit more than you recognize or know. And God is not done with you. You have great things in store for you in the future. So be encouraged, be patient, and wait uh, until God is ready to bring you to a place where you can return to teaching or, or whatever it is he, he has for you in the future. Who knows what that is, but be ready for it when it comes. Okay, so look, be patient. Yeah, keep repenting of sin. All of these are stages of preparation that God needs to take with you until you can produce a great harvest in the fall. Okay? With that in mind, then, let's get into our study of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. So Paul's letter to the Ephesians, I've mentioned this before, but it's worth repeating, is six chapters long. The first three chapters are all about our riches and blessings and our inheritance that we have as believers— the uh, second three chapters, 4, 5, and 6, are sort of what we're supposed to do with these. Okay, now, having said that, in the first three chapters, Paul very often brings up some things that he hopes we will do, his readers will do, with the riches and the blessings and the inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. And those are often found in these prayer sections, like we have here in verses 15 through 19. 
Okay, Paul reveals sort of what he hopes his readers will do with their spiritual possessions. And he does this by saying, here's what I'm praying for you about. Hey, I just gave you some spiritual, uh, a description of some spiritual possessions. Now here's what I pray. Here's what I hope you will do with these. Okay, just look at verses 15 and 16. Paul says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Okay, so Paul, ha, uh, he, he's heard about the great things that the Ephesians Christians are doing, and he's uh, how they love one another, how they continue to believe in Jesus and follow him in, in discipleship. And so as a result of what Paul has heard, he's giving thanks to God for them, for what they're doing, and he continues to pray for them. In verses 17 through 19, tells us exactly what he prays for. And again, as I said at the introduction to this podcast, these sections of prayer uh, of what Paul prays for in Ephesians are highly instructive for us. If you ever struggle with what to pray for or how to pray, look, you can always pray the prayers of Paul. Always pray the various prayers you find in Scripture, because they can be very helpful in informing and guiding and leading your own prayer life. The book of Psalms is great for this, by the way. Many of those can be prayed. I often like to do that in my own prayer time. But, uh, but the, so Paul is, is praying here for the Ephesians Christians. And I want you to know, as a listener to this podcast, that the things that Paul prays for here are the same things I hope for you as a listener of this podcast and as a reader of my books. And if you read some of the articles or if you're part of my discipleship group, the things Paul wants his Ephesian readers to know and experience and have are the same things I want you to know and experience and have. Okay, so uh, as we go through these things that Paul prays for, just know that as he prays for these for the Ephesian Christians, I am praying for these for you. Okay, so let's just start off here in verse 17. Paul, uh, Paul has basically one main prayer request with sort of three subpoints. Okay, so the the first the, the main prayer request is right there in 117, Ephesians 117. He prays that they may gain the spirit of wisdom and revelation. All right. Now, let's talk about that word spirit first. Depending on your Bible translation, it may or may not be capitalized. The Bible translators uh, who capitalize it with a capital S think that Paul is referring to the Holy Spirit. The Bible translators that do not capitalize the word S uh, think that Paul is referring to sort of our inner spirit, the human spirit, uh, which is filled with wisdom and understanding and revelation that, that Paul is sort of uh, talking about here. Okay, I don't really care which way you go. Honestly, if we have wisdom and revelation as Christians, then it comes from the Holy Spirit because he illuminates us and guides us. So I don't really care uh, uh, which way you go here. But, but either way, um, I want you to know that this is what I hope for you. One of the reasons I spend so much time studying and teaching and writing, okay, why? Is it just for entertainment purposes? No, it's so that you can gain wisdom and revelation, wisdom and understanding, so that you can know the truth. There's so much bad teaching out there about God and Scripture and theology and the Bible. I want you to know the truth. I want you to have wisdom, because the truth will set you free. I want you to have uh, understanding and revelation about the truth. And 
one of the ways to do that is by listening to teachings like this and reading books like the ones I provide, and, and many other authors and teachers as well. Okay, But of course, also, you should make sure you go to God uh, through the Holy Spirit in prayer and ask Him to teach you. I find that to be one of the greatest ways to find uh, wisdom and understanding and revelation is by allowing God to teach you Himself uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit through Scripture. There's a great story I heard years and years ago, way back when I was in Bible college uh, at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And uh, it, it's, uh, it was told by Harry Ironside in, in one of his books, and he tells a story when he was first beginning to pastor as a young man, and he went home to California to visit his family and found a, an old man of God living nearby. This man of God was from Northern Ireland, and uh, th- this old man was very sick, and he had come to California, hopefully, to regain his, his health. Anyway, uh, he lived— uh, this was by his choice, in a small little tent out under the olive trees near where Harry Ironside lived. And Ironside heard about him one day. This is a man of God down there in this tent. So he went to visit him there. And Ironside uh, writes how he remembers how he could see the thin, worn face, uh, and according to Ironside, upon which the peace of heaven was clearly seen. How do you like that? Okay, the man's name was Andrew Frazier, by the way. Ironside said he could barely speak above a whisper. His lungs were almost gone. But Ironside remembers how, after a few words of introduction, the old man said to him, Young man, you are trying to preach Christ, are you not? Yes, I am, Ironside replied. Well, the old man whispered, sit down a little and let us talk together about the word of God. And he opened his well-worn Bible, and until his strength was gone, he simply, sweetly, and earnestly opened up truth after truth as he turned from one passage to another in a way that Ironside had never before seen. Before I realized it, says Ironside, tears were running down my face, and I asked, where did you get these things? Could you tell me where I could find a book that would open them up to me? Did you learn them in some seminary or Bible college? I will never forget his answer, says Ironside. My dear young man, I learned these things on my knees, on the mud floor of a little sod cottage in Northern Ireland. There, with my Bible before me, I used to kneel for hours at a time and ask the Spirit of God to reveal Christ to my soul and open the Word to my heart. And He taught me more on my knees, on that mud floor, than I ever could have learned in all the seminaries or colleges in the world. All right. That is what Paul is talking about when he writes about the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And that's what Paul wanted for his listeners, his readers, his audience in Ephesus. It's what I want for you, that you would gain the spirit of wisdom and revelation and understanding about the things of God from Scripture, the truths of Jesus Christ and the gospel, the central truths that make a difference in your life, that change and transform this world. And guess what? There's no spiritual, there's no shortcut here. 
It comes with discipline. It comes with time. It comes with dedication. It comes with, with spending time with God in prayer, in Scripture, just as Ironside said. Ironside, by the way, if you ever get a chance to read some of Ironside's books, his ideas and thoughts were very influential in my own thinking and writing, and I highly recommend his books. Um, we're studying Ephesians. His commentary on Ephesians, Into the Heavenlies, is uh, fantastic. One of the best commentaries on Ephesians. So, so get a chance. There's a link to it in the notes for this, uh, this study as well, for the, the manuscript. So, um, anyway. I, and by, by the way, what that man said, I would attest to as well. I mentioned I went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. I also graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, degrees basically are meaningless. All right, I'm sorry, but they are. I have them. I'm thankful I have them. I only have the job I have because I have those pieces of paper with letters on them. Uh, but other than that, you don't, you don't need them, okay? Just trust God to guide you and trust that he will lead you into truth. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Um, more people have learned more wrong teaching in Bible colleges and seminaries than by studying Scripture on their own, all right, with, with prayerful humility and, and under the illumination and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Are you going you gonna to end it some, some bad teachings by studying Scripture on your own or with a community of other, small group of other people? Of course you will. But guess what? Are you going to end up with some bad teaching if you go to Bible college and seminary? Absolutely, without a doubt. Okay, so anyway, um, I want you to know Christ better, to know him better, to have a spirit of wisdom and understanding and revelation, as Paul talks about here. And he wanted that for his Ephesian Christians. And uh, so that's, that's what he is, is writing about here. Okay, so uh, let's, that's the first, that's the primary prayer request Paul brings up here. And then he goes on in verses 18 and 19 to apply this in three specific ways. Three areas that Paul specifically wanted them to know and understand, okay? So verse 18, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Okay, same idea. There's spirit of understanding and revelation that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that, number one, you may know the hope to which he's called you. Number two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And number three, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Okay, so let's look real briefly at these three specific things Paul wanted the Ephesian Christians to know, and which I want you to know as well. First, the hope to which you were called. Uh, the hope to which you were called. Now, people hear the word hope, and they sort of think uh, of this wishful thinking sort of a concept. You know, I, I hope I become rich. Is it really going to happen? No. But I hope, Right. And, and so when they read about this hope uh, that Paul writes about in Scripture, they have this sort of wishful thinking idea similar to that. But that's not the way hope is in Scripture. Hope is more of a certain hope. Why? Because our hope is in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ comes through with what he promises. Okay, Jesus Christ is not wishful thinking. Jesus Christ is certainty. But we have certainty of our victory over sin, death, and the devil in Jesus Christ through God. Okay, and so uh, we're not hoping in ourselves. We're not hoping in you know our our government officials or politicians or anybody. We're hoping in God. We're hoping in Jesus Christ, and so therefore our hope is certain and it is sure and secure. And uh, so so that's the first thing. And and this is really helpful for us today because 
it's very difficult sometimes to maintain hope for the future in our lives, isn't it? I don't know what's going on with your relationships or your job or your finances or your health. We started off with that letter from a listener at the beginning of this podcast. And as I read that letter, I, I think that you could hear he was losing hope, just like some of you are. This world is full of troubles and trials, and the, the news and the media just make it worse. Everything's so bleak and dire, okay? Uh, but we need hope. And guess where our hope is? It's in Jesus Christ. And so one of the great things about being a Christian, about following Jesus, is we can know with certainty that no matter how bad this world gets, no matter how hopeless things are for this world, for the future, for our health, for the finances, for our relationships, okay, this world, this life is not the end. There's much better things that follow, and we can have hope there. We can have hope in eternity, because this life is just a it's less than a, a puff less than a blink of an eye compared to the great things that are stored up for us in eternity. Okay, and, and so that's where our hope is, and that's why we can be hopeful. That's why we can have joy and excitement uh, for the future, no matter how bad things are in this world or in our life now. This life is not all there is. Okay, so let's just let's just wait for that. Wait for our hope, and um, that's the thing. One of the things Paul wants for, and that's one of the things I teach. Why why I teach so much about eternity and inheritance and the gospel, because these are the things that give us hope in this life. The second specific thing, then, is our riches, the riches of our inheritance. Paul wants his readers to gain knowledge of God by learning about their inheritance, the glorious inheritance of the saints. We've talked about this uh, a little bit as we've gone through chapter 1 so far. He has talked about, Paul has written about our inheritance multiple times in verses 3 through 14. Uh, these riches, these blessings, this inheritance we have as being members of the family of God. Paul is going to talk a lot more about inheritance elsewhere in Ephesians. These uh, rewards, these riches, these inheritances that we have as members of the family of God. And, and, and Paul says here that there uh, are many of them, but we can know some of them now. A lot of times people think, well, our riches are in heaven, our inheritance is in heaven, our reward is in heaven. Well, that's true. But guess what? We can experience and know some of these now. Otherwise, why would Paul be praying for that? He wouldn't. That you can know the riches of his glorious inheritance saints. Well, great, Paul, after I die. No, now. Some of these you can know now. And so uh, that's what Paul wants his readers to know. And by the way, the word know here means more than just knowing your brain. It means to experience. Okay, I think it was one of my professors at seminary, Howard Hendricks, who said there's a vast difference between reading about grabbing a cat by the tail and actually grabbing a cat by the tail. <laughs> okay, uh, the second one is knowing. You're going to experience what happens firsthand. And, and that's what Paul has in mind here. I mean, look, um, you can read about swimming in the ocean, but there's a vast difference between uh, the book knowledge of swimming in the ocean and actually swimming in the ocean, okay? Or experiencing snowfall or the sound of seagulls or whatever, okay? And, and so that's what Paul, when, he, when he's asking, wants his readers to know about the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints. He wants them to experience it now, this, this, uh, this, these riches that we have in Christ. And so, so that's what he wants. Thirdly and finally then, the great power for us who believe. There in verse 19, he wants his readers to know the inc 
incomparably great power for us who believe. And um, the world today wants power, right? Everything is a quest for power. Everybody's lusting after power. Politicians and movie stars and, you know, money gets some power and position gets some power. But uh, who has the greatest power? We do, as Christians. Why? Because we have the power of God. Is anything or any force, anybody greater than God? No. And God gives his power to us. Infinite power is available to us. That's why Paul calls it incomparably great. There's nothing that can compare to the great power of God. Uh, The word power there is the word dunamis, which is uh, where we get our word dynamite. Dynamite, of course, didn't exist in the days of Paul, but uh, we named our word dynamite after the Greek word dunamis. And uh, so you think of how much power dynamite has to blow down buildings or blow up mountains or blow holes in the ground, whatever. Uh, that's sort of like the power that we have in Jesus Christ. It's, it's great power to do amazing, great things. And uh, Paul wants his readers to know about this power and experience this power in their life. Power that can transform lives and change the world. And that's what I want for you as well, to experience and know this power in your life. Okay, now uh, Paul thinks this power is so great. He's going to go on in the rest of verse nineteen and on through Ephesians one twenty three to talk about it. So I'm going to uh, hold off on talking more about the power until we get to those verses in future studies of Ephesians one. Okay, but just in closing here today, then my prayer for you is the same as Paul's prayer for the Ephesian Christians. As you listen to my studies, as you read my books, as you join my online discipleship group, uh, as you read my online articles, I want you to come to a better understanding of everything that you have in Jesus Christ. I want you to be hopeful for your future. Are you hopeful? Jeremy, you don't know what's going on. That's true. I don't. But we live in bleak times. There's so much going on in the world, so much still sickness and death and power struggles and you know, jobs are lost and people are losing their homes, okay? But you can still have hope because our hope is not in the things of this world, but our hope is in Jesus. And when our hope is in Jesus, we can know that no matter how bad things get in this world, in our life, this world is not all there is. And there is great things in store for us in eternity. Secondly, I pray that you know how rich you are in Jesus Christ, how spiritually rich you are. There are many great blessings you have been given in Jesus Christ, and these blessings will help you in your life, in your jobs, in your relationships, and all you think, say, and do. And we'll be talking more about these as we go through Ephesians. Third, I want you to know and experience the power of God, the power to break down barriers, to defeat sin and temptation. Do you have sin and temptation in your life that you're struggling with? Of course you do. The power of God is there, available to you to help you defeat those, to overcome doubt and fear. Do you have fears? Yes. Do you have doubts? Most likely power of God can help you discover and learn the truth, to help you live a victorious and fulfilling Christian life, to be everything that God wants you to be. That's what the power of God is there for. I hope and pray all of these things for you. And uh, as you continue to come to know Jesus Christ better, follow him on the path of discipleship, you will gain the spirit of wisdom and revelation on these things, to know them, not not just in your head, but fully, experientially, in your life, because this is what God wants for you, and this is why Jesus came, and this is why Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, and this is why I am teaching these things to you in this podcast episode here today. Okay? 
We're going to pick up more with this. Got to join me next time when we pick back up in the rest of Ephesians 1.19 and talk more about this power, because this is the key to our life. The key to everything God has for us is tapping into the power that God has made available to us. So join us next time as we pick up there. All right. Thank you for listening. We'll see you then. Bye.